Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, I'm Megan. And I'm Sarah. We're two moms with eight kids between us, and we're the hosts of The Mom Hour. On this show, we're joined by a team of unique mom voices from across the country and in different stages of motherhood to bring you tips, ideas, and encouragement, and to help you feel a little less alone. We all know that motherhood is a lot easier when real moms share honest truths and remind each other that it's all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 389 of the Mom Hour. I'm Sarah Powers, and today I have Jamie Sherrod with me. Hey, Jamie. Hey, Sarah. How are you? I'm really good. I'm so happy that you've joined me. So Jamie's sitting in Megan's, I don't know, like hypothetical, no, not hypothetical, uh, metaphorical seat today. (laughs) Um, And we're talking about why the children are so sick this fall all the time. Actually, we don't, we're not really offering exactly why or specific solutions, but just validating, right? They are just all sick all the time. It is out of control. So we need to talk about this. We do. And I tapped you for this for a couple of reasons. Um, Well, I have been noticing in our um, listener community, a few moms saying like, is this normal? Like my kids are sick all the time this fall. And Mm -hmm. um, obviously like the giant elephant in the room is that we're coming. um, We're slowly coming into a new phase of a pandemic, but for a lot of parents of young kids, their kids weren't in traditional school or daycare for quite a while. And then they were, but maybe they were masked. It's been this gradual um, getting back to what I experienced and my kids are now older. So I know what it's like to have kids get sick all the time, but that was pre COVID and your kids, Jamie, are how old at this moment? So my son is four, almost five. And then my daughter is two and a half and we just started preschool daycare, whatever you want to call it. Um, my son started at the end of July and my daughter started at the beginning of September. So we are in the throes of being introduced to all of the fall bugs with, like you said, kind of the looming, is it COVID? Is it not COVID? Yeah. And having to make decisions around that. And, um, we've already felt it, you know, we've only been at this for eight to 12 weeks and we're already (laughs) feeling it. 
So it's wild. It, it is a wild ride. I'm I'm thinking too, obviously I can't speak to like everyone's immunity timeline, but I would think too that kids of your kids' ages just had, even if they were going to, you have been a stay-at-home mom, and we'll talk more about that. Um, but even if kids were with a stay-at-home parent for the first few years, there still would have been bouncy house places and birthday parties and my gym and music class that kids of your kids' generation, let's call it, just had a little bit less of that. So a little bit less of an opportunity maybe to uh, get that natural immunity from all the bugs. Would you, this is the first question where I'm lobbing it to you as a healthcare professional. I completely agree. And I would say our personal family stance has been pretty intensely, you know, isolated. We were really, really isolated. I had a baby in May of 2020. And so we were super isolated then and we weren't going out and about. And when we did, we masked and we did all the things to prevent all that. And I think back to fall of 20, fall of 21, even all of those kind of normal fall bugs that would circulate weren't circulating with quite the intensity because there was still a lot of social distancing, still a lot of masking. And so it is just like, wham, hitting everyone, whether you have a two-year-old or whether you haven't sent your kid to school and this is their first year in kindergarten or maybe their first time in person in first grade, whatever it is, they're getting smacked with all of this stuff and with really very little protection. Um, and that's, I mean, that's where we're heading. That's where we need to be heading. I feel, I feel okay about this, but it is, it's hitting all of us for sure. Well, and I think what you, what you can help today is validate that first of all, like nobody who it seems like their kids are getting sick all the time is alone. We're all dealing with it. And also that mostly what we're talking about today is, um, very run of the mill, um, non-life threatening, childhood illnesses that are actually exactly. like, it's actually a positive thing to move through. And anybody who's listening who has a really immunocompromised child or some serious medical stuff going on, that that is a very, we recognize that's a very different category. I think mm-hmm. to, the focus of today is like, how do we move through and not lose our minds when it just seems like we can't catch a break from from the viruses? Um, exactly. Like, are these new symptoms or has this been going on for 21 days? I really can't tell. (laughs) Exactly. You stop, you start to like lose track. Um, Yes, exactly. exactly. Well, the other reason I was excited to talk to you about this is you, well, you will be giving no formal medical advice. There's our disclaimer. Nothing you hear today is official medical advice. You are part of a two parent healthcare worker family and you come with an RN background. So just just for my knowledge, even remind me your healthcare background and also Amanda's, your wife's. Sure. So um, I am previously an adult oncology nurse. So I mostly cared for patients in the hospital with leukemias and lymphoma. So I never worked with kids. Um, my wife is a medical oncologist and she also only works with adults. Uh, mostly sees breast cancer patients, but neither of us are very pediatric inclined. All of that said, I just got a job and I am currently a home health nurse for a two and a half year old. Um, so this is brand new territory for me, something I'm certainly loving, um, but definitely this whole other world of taking care of, uh, you know, a 
pediatric patient. Yeah. I'm grateful that I have a couple of kids, so I feel a little bit more comfortable. Um, but there is no doubt that, I mean, I don't think anyone could say that a nurse and a physician, their experience or education or knowledge, like, wouldn't influence yeah. the way that they take care of their kids when I mean, they're sick. Yeah. Um, but also, I feel like there's also a lot of personality to this. And if you really, really want to layer it on, I am the youngest child, the third baby of two nurse parents. Oh, I didn't know and both so your parents were nurses. Yeah, That's so both my parents are nurses. And I think sometimes that might be influencing my sick kid parenting more than even just like my my license just the fact that I'm a nurse um so all of this kind of plays a role but we definitely get into some interesting conversations me and Amanda when kids are sick about what she would do versus what I would do yeah um so it's interesting I I find it so fascinating and the people in my life I know who are, you know, physicians or nurses um, always do what you just did, which is downplay their training because they're not pediatricians. Um, and <laughs> yes. I just find it as as a non-medical professional, I my reaction is like, yeah, but like just your ability so to like understand anatomy and um, like terminology and like how to read a, um, a medication label I, I don't know if everyone is just being really humble or if pediatrics and like a sick kid with a virus is truly like, I'm trying to think of another profession where like me as a professional podcaster, if you came to me and like asked me to hook up your DVD player or something, just because I work in tech right. and communications that I'm like, I don't know. So maybe it really is that different, but, or maybe, maybe you're all just very humble. Well, okay. So I think you gave a really good example that something I just personally have not thought about, but the reading a medication label is a really, really good example of something that I, of course, don't think twice about. Right. Right. Like, I do know how to read a medication label. And you're right that that is certainly something that um, I guess gives me a little bit of a one up right. when my kid is sick because that's not another barrier for me to making this happen. So you're right. I mean, even if I don't have pediatric experience or very minimal, um, just the true navigation of the health system is more comfortable for me than it is for someone else. Probably. I thought of two more things where I think it might be helpful. And you just touched on one of them, like the system. I, Mm -hmm. um, when you're a new parent and if you have been lucky enough to not spend a lot of time in clinics and hospitals, as like your own growing up, um, even the difference between a nurse, a medical assistant, um, a nurse practitioner, a pediatrics urgent care versus a traditional urgent care, urgent care versus ER, insurance, like there's a lot to learn that, you know, it's it's parenting. You're going to, we're all going to learn all this. And I certainly did. And I'll get into some of my experiences, but to have those, t- the terminology and just the layout of an office and what's typical for like it's there's so much probably for you and Amanda that is just you've lived, you've swam, swum, you have swum yeah. in that water um, Correct. that kind of removes that learning curve, even if you're still at a clinical learning curve with your kid. And the other the other thing I think you've probably both seen more of, and this is on a little more serious note, you've seen more humans in some kind of medical 
distress and whether that's mm-hmm. pain, mm-hmm. difficulty breathing, um, lethar- lethargy, fever, and it's not the same, but you have logged a certain amount of experience. Um, just what it looks like to, to be, to see someone who's like clearly ill. And yeah. again, if, if like parents and moms are coming into parenting, having not had that, because how, how lucky is that, that they haven't spent right. a lot of time right. monitoring somebody's symptoms, their own or someone they love. Exactly. That is also a learning curve. And I, I just remembered that my neighbor across the street in Orange County was an RN and had been in geriatrics. Um, so not mm-hmm. oncology, but also, you know, people, much older people. And I just remember one time just being like, can you just come over and look at Violet on the couch and just like, yeah. give me a second opinion on whether this is like urgent care territory or not. And it was like, it was pretty extreme lethargy at that point And like, not unresponsive, like not scary, yeah, unresponsive, but, but like pretty, yeah, pretty down for the count. And that was my third kid. So if I got, if I got to that point, it was time for, and again, it was like not her specialty, but just having, I don't know, somebody who knows what it looks like to be like in distress. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I mean, we've had situations where we get called to the neighbor's house in that exact scenario. Yeah. And when we say, yep, let's call 911, then, I mean, the panic, Yeah, you know, on the mom's face, because now we've shown up and we've said, yeah, like we, we agree this is really serious. And yeah. so you're right. Our these are all things that I guess we do take for granted and they feel kind of subconscious to us, but we've logged a lot, a lot more hours, just like you said, looking at people and yeah. it does um, diminish our view of, of view of severity, I yeah. guess. Well, the good news is, and then, and we need to take a break here, but the good news is from a non-medical perspective and now just having gotten three kids through those early years of childhood illnesses, I got pretty good at it myself. Like I got, I just got really good. And that's what we'll get into is like the practice it takes to know, you know, is this, are we going to call the doctor? Are we going to stay home from school just to be safe? Are we going to even send them to school, even though they're not a hundred percent, but I feel okay about that because X, Y, Z. Million dollar question. Are they going to school today or not? Exactly. Sarah, we both know this time of year can be crazy. So this is a great time to get ahead with no prep, no mess meals from our sponsor, Factor. I love how these meals are ready to eat and delivered right to your door. I mean, you can't beat that convenience, but most importantly, they're seriously delicious. Yeah, Megan, I agree. Our whole family was impressed with the quality and flavor of Factor meals we tried. And it turned out to be a great option for my teenagers when they got home late from a theater practice or came home from school super hungry. There's zero prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Factor meals just need to be heated for about two minutes and they're ready to go. Yeah. And for any listeners with wellness goals this month, Factor has six menu preferences to support your lifestyle. Whether you're trying to boost your protein, avoiding meat, or simply focusing on well-balanced meals. And you can pause or reschedule deliveries to fit your lifestyle. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. Head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code momhour50 at factormeals.com slash momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Okay, Megan. Well, over here at the Mom Hour, we are big fans of our sponsor, Our Place. In fact, you, me, and our team member, Katie, we're all comparing notes on our favorite product. 
Katie was telling us that even though she's packing up to move her family to a new house, she cannot put that mini perfect pot from our place into the boxes yet because she's using it like every night. Well, as someone who also has a perfect pot, I got mine as part of their mini home cook duo set. I get it. It's nonstick, which is key, but it also has all these handy features like a steam release lid with a built in strainer and this nice beechwood spoon that nests on the handle in this perfect little peg. Okay, well, I didn't get this pot, but now I want it. That sounds so great. Our place's cookware is great to cook with, beautiful to look at, and healthier for us as well. All of Our Place's products are made without PFAS, also known as Forever Chemicals. In addition to their cookware and tableware, Our Place is also making waves with their Wonder Oven, the most stylish all-in-one air fryer and toaster oven. Again, free from the Forever Chemicals found in many of those air fryers. Listeners, Our Place offers a 100-day trial with free shipping and returns, and we've got a great deal for you. Go to fromourplace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. That's fromourplace.com, code MOMHOUR. Okay, Jamie. So I want to talk about the moment in family life where the very first sign of illness appears. And it might be a cranky kid, a kid who like falls asleep on the floor at 4.30 in the afternoon. It might be waking up in the morning with that super crusty nose that wasn't even there yesterday. There's always, there's, it can look a lot of different ways. Sometimes it's immediately apparent. And sometimes you have to go back and be like, oh, that's why they were so grumpy yesterday. Um, But I'm going to just, I guess, like share a little bit about how this was for me as a mom. And then I'm so curious what your thought process is like when that first sign of illness appears. Um, With my first child, we dealt with very few like illnesses. And Luke to this day has the immune system, like the winning immune system in our family, which means he'll get something. But like we joke, like he, he sneezes twice. Everyone else gets it and he's fine. Like he just gets (laughs) over it. So I think I was lulled into like not needing to be so vigilant about symptoms with my first baby at first. He didn't go into daycare until he was about 15 months. And then he did And he did get stuff, but it all felt very mild. It would be like a a little bit of a fever. I'd keep him home from daycare, a a little bit of a cough, and then it would run its course. And I just thought that's, that's how it works. And this is great. Like I can be a sick toddler parent. Um, my second baby had an ear infection a month for four Mm. or five months in a row the first winter. So he was born in June. So by like November, he's like four or five months old. And it was like November, December, January, February. And it would be a respiratory thing that would come home. And actually, um, the oldest was not even in daycare anymore. I was a fully stay-at-home mom. So we actually had no daycare germs at all. And I remember them asking me in the, I was always in urgent care, always with that child. Because it was always on the weekend. And um, I was pretty... um, easy to convince to call in a prescription for an ear infection. I'll just say that. I know people fall all the way along the spectrum to not wanting ever antibiotics to like be, give me all the drugs. And I'm not even saying I feel great about this, but I was a little closer to the, give me all the drugs person. It was just where I was in that stage of life. And he was really little. So on the fifth ear infection, you're kind of like, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Um, and so with that kid, I became so hyper vigilant. And then, and then it just progressed because he got a lot of upper respiratory stuff that would turn into bronchiolitis or pneumonia a couple of times. 
So I almost overcorrected the other way where, especially with upper respiratory stuff. And now I know like we're in this COVID place where this is where you really do have to kind of like learn, you have to become almost like a medical professional in your own home, like learn the sound of a cough, learn like what to notice. But as soon as those symptoms would come, it's almost like I was, I would try to pre- assess what the next week or three weeks of our life was going to be like. And it was a little bit almost of like PTSD. I don't, I don't use that. I don't want to use that term lightly, but I, I had been burned several times by, um, an infection getting to that point where now we're in urgent care. Now we're on antibiotics. Now we're doing a chest x-ray and both with Reed and with Violet, it seemed like it was like years, like six years of that. And so I became very like attuned to the first sign of something. And then the funny thing is there wasn't much to do about it. I was just like, Oh, here we go. Here we go. It's happening. Like, hold on everyone. And (laughs) it made it hard for me to um, actually assess real symptoms. Like what is this child actually presenting with today? Because my mind would go right to like, okay, I've got to reschedule the babysitter. We're probably not going to make it to that. I've got to like figure out my work schedule. Um, And so I, it, that was tough. It was really, it was really hard. And I'm, that was a long way of saying, I'm wondering where you are on this journey of, is it anxiety producing to you to win that first moment of like, mm-hmm. okay, we've got another bug. Um, and for me, it wasn't medical anxiety. It wasn't really worried about their true health and safety for the most mm-hmm. part. Sure. It was more the lack of ability to plan the next two weeks of my life that got really difficult. And I would say it was like, I'm going to call it like a top three stressor when I was a mom of like a three little kids. Okay. Well, for starters, that feels super valid because five ear infections in a row and you know how this goes down, right? Yeah. So Luke brings home some sniffles yeah. and then Reed gets the sniffle for five days before he even starts to show signs that he has an ear infection. So I know it's not like health anxiety because that's like a whole other thing, but I feel like the way that you were talking sounds a lot to me kind of like the thought processes of like a mom with a kid with asthma, Mm -hmm. right? So like they bring home, someone in the family brings something home and they are thinking for the next week, yeah. I need to be thinking about rescue inhalers, nebulizers. I really hope we don't go to the emergency department. All of these things that they're kind of planning and mapping out in their head because they've seen this before. Like your trajectory kind of looked yeah. like that because you're like, I've been down this road before. Yeah. And now we have to go do all of these things. Yeah. So all of that said, um. This is not my first reaction, usually. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would say my, oh my gosh, here we go again, illness, like two months ago looked very different than it does now. So when I was full-time stay-at-home mom, um, kids were full-time home with me. When they got sick, I would just be like, oh, okay, cool. So we can get out of this tomorrow and we don't have to go do that because in general, my kids, we kind of have this perspective of like, well, it's going to run its course. This might be five days. This might be two weeks. And it didn't disrupt our lives. But here we are, October of 2022. And this feels very, very different for me. I've got two kids in school. They're both going to school five days a week. And I now have, as I mentioned, a new job. 
and I'm taking care of a two and a half year old who is mildly immunocompromised. So these decisions, I feel like when I see the first sniffle or the first, you know, kind of like, why do you feel a little bit warm to me right now? Um, That I, I feel like I think of three things. I think what is happening today? What is happening tomorrow? And do I have Tylenol and Motrin at the house? Like literally these, this is, I think the farthest my brain goes. And that's actually and so now, simple though. It's such a, like a triage. It's a total triage mentality. It's like, I guess forget it is. everything <laughs> else. What do I have today? What do I have tomorrow? And how are, how's our stock of Tylenol? Do I, yeah. I what's love our, it. What's our stockpile look like? So, um, usually for the today, it's like, kind of like we may end up canceling. Of course, this is all sort of influenced and different with COVID. Yeah. Um, but then the next steps I'm really thinking about is if I don't have to work the next day, I'm probably just keeping the kids home. That is a personal decision that we make kind of within our family. But if I am working the next day, then we have to take next steps about thinking about the elephant in the room. Yeah. Are we going to, you know, do some testing, et cetera, but we can get into more of that later. Um, but yeah, um, I don't, I, I would say in general, I certainly have some anxiety about plenty of things. Like, for example, my heart was racing before this episode, but I don't have an enormous amount of like health anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I think kind of for reasons that you yeah. explained earlier that we've seen different runs of the mill. Yeah. So I don't get too far beyond just organizing my day. Right, right. Exactly. How does this impact my life. And I love that you are able to keep that to like, what's the next 24 hours need to look like? Um, sure. yeah. Um, that's, it was also super validating. Cause as soon as you said an asthma kid, I was like, oh yeah, we were totally Reed was actually classified as an asthma kid. Okay. Um, for respiratory yeah. stuff, never, never like exercise induced, but just respiratory infection induced. So we were, we had okay. all the nebulizers. And so I guess that that's is validating that like, it wasn't just run-of-the-mill stuff like we did get into those territories um it's so common though that when you talk to other people um there's a there's a lot of kids who then outgrow it so he would not I would never say my 12 year old has asthma it was more that he had respiratory infection induced asthma symptoms which put us on the track of having the nebulizer and having the we even had a preventive inhaler for a couple years so that is a whole other uh bag of worms for sure so yeah um, okay, well, let's let's just keep pulling this thread about the decision tree that happens mm-hmm. from yeah. here. I, I mean, I can't imagine how different it is. And I just want to say on the outset, we're probably going to say something about our own decision making that's wildly different from those of you listening. And that's why this mm-hmm. is so personal. And there's so many factors that go into, do I send this kid to school? Do I test them for COVID? They're negative for COVID, but they're still symptomatic. Like it, it is just, it is a lot. I have weathered it with older kids, but I can't even mm-hmm. imagine with toddlers who can't report symptoms very well and who get so many COVID-like viruses. So do you want to yes. just keep talking about that decision tree? And then, I mean, I was going to talk about how different it is was before COVID, but it's like everything's different. So what does it look <laughs> like now in deciding what to do next? Yeah. And uh, I will just echo that again, that um, this has the potential that our decisions are so different 
And the truth is the decisions we're making now might look really different in December. So like right now, the things that we are doing in this decision making um, might change. And we, we totally know that there are all sorts of family reasons we do different things. But um, for right now, if my kids present with a new respiratory symptom. This has already happened twice, Sarah. Twice. In like six weeks. Yeah. Yes. So when I say new respiratory symptoms, I'm saying like there were no symptoms for a solid like five, seven days. Like they were totally normal. And now we have a new runny nose. Now we have a new sort of cough in the morning, but then it goes away for the rest of the day. Now we have a little bit of a um, cough at night, but then they don't wake up with the cough in the morning. You know, all these obscure things that can really just make you bonkers. Um, For the most part in our family, we have decided that um, if I kind of alluded to this earlier, if I don't have to work the next day, we won't test yet and I will keep the kids home. My kids don't like being tested. I I get that. They are two and four. They it does not feel very good. Oh my gosh. Um, and it's it's really hard to say, hey, you know, I know your nose is kind of stuffy and hurts right now. So can I stick a swab up there and like get some sample from you? And they're like, I don't think so. So it's a lot to make that decision. We wouldn't test initially if we got back to the point where um I needed to return to work and I was still asymptomatic and the kids, you know, were due to go to school. We, we do make the decision to test, um, if their symptoms are mild, if they had a fever again, we would just continue to keep them home. But I'm talking that like, annoying chronic cough or annoying chronic runny nose that is possibly not COVID, um, that we just kind of want to rule out. And we have, in two instances, already this fall tested. No one in the family has tested positive. I also would test asymptomatic before I went to work right. um, to take care of my kid. Yeah. And my kid slash my, you know, yes. you know what kid I'm talking <laughs> yeah. about, um, to go take care of the, my patient. And it is just so tricky. And I would say probably the thing for me that I am just relying on because I like rules. I like um, guidelines and I am just following my school's policy. And that is where I am landing right now. And I know across the country, every school has different policies. And I feel like for me, this feels like a good place to be. Uh, my kids have not had um, high fevers with their respiratory symptoms mm-hmm. this fall. Um, so that would be a huge yep. piece of the puzzle. Um, they've presented very commonly with the common cold and we have all continued to test negative so far. But um, gosh, it is tricky, Sarah. It's yeah. really, really tricky because I do get worried about what if what if they're negative? I get worried about the fact that I'm not worried, but I feel bad that I have to test them. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, it doesn't feel good. Yeah. And um, it's there just are so it's many battles already that you are waging with two and four year olds um, exactly struck right. um, like power, power dynamic. You know, like it's such an age where that body autonomy is emerging and so important for kids. And so 
having been someone who's had to hold my child down before for a flu vaccine or to put eye drops in their eyes, like I know, and actually we'll get into this in the second half, like how I feel about over-the-counter medications when they are helpful, but maybe not necessary. And like that, it, it sounds simple to be like, well, we're just going to test our two and four year old. It's, it can be, that could ruin your morning. And and then some like, not even counting, like, is this like causing them like, you know, their own medical trauma down the line? I know. I mean, I have plenty of friends who do not test their kids and I support that like 100%. If your school policy says they don't need to be tested and they can go, that is a-okay with me. This is a choice our family is making right now. And it's still tricky. It is still tricky. I am feeling so grateful for the ages of my kids with at-home testing because Mm -hmm. it has been a complete non-issue. They will stick the, they will do it themselves. They'll stick that thing up there. I mean, they, they don't even like, they don't even roll their eyes. They're, they are of a different generation yeah. of kids who are like, cool, we get to go to school. We get to go to a party. Like I'll stick that thing yeah. up my nose. Like yeah. they like to watch the, watch the results come through. It's just, it's night and day. So that's interesting. I want to yeah. circle back to the school policies thing because that actually was a good guidepost for me, even in the pre COVID days. And mm-hmm. I think we'd both agree there is a level of arbitrary to all of this. So given <laughs> Given that we cannot see the future, we cannot know exactly who our snotty nosed child might infect or who might infect our kid. Mm -hmm. We are all doing the best we can with a constantly moving and shifting set of social norms and I guess like medical ethics. Um, And inside of that, I don't think school policies and county health guidelines are perfect either. And I think we've all seen where they've aired in the last few years. However, if you are a busy, overwhelmed, sleep-deprived mom, you need something to pin your hopes to. And I think it's actually really good or really helpful, I will just echo that, to know those school policies and to use that as like a piece of your decision tree. So pre-COVID, that would have, for me, that would have looked like no vomiting or diarrhea for at least 24 hours. Mm -hmm. Um, So they need to have been better from their most intense symptoms for about 24 hours. Did I fudge that occasionally when I saw, I just saw a kid who rebounded really fast and I knew they were going to be okay. I definitely did. But in general, that's a good rule of thumb. Like whatever they got better from, if you can see that through 24 hours, you know that they're not just better this morning and they're going to have that afternoon dip again. So that was one that I relied on. Um, like even like the, um, the color, the consistency of snot or mucus, that was probably less of a school policy, but something that the pediatrician would send home. Like there's a few things that like, if you can have that checklist, it's not that it's going to ensure that everything goes perfectly. And you still might send the sick kid to school or your kid might get infected by the other mom who had to send her sick kid to school so she could go to work. It's not going to be perfect, but I do think having those, like you said, hitching your wagon to some kind of guidelines just can alleviate so much of that mental math. Yep, I completely agree. Yeah. Well, I am so curious because you uh, co-parent with a physician and you are mm-hmm. a nurse. Um, are you and Amanda similar in how you react and what you decide to do about this? And she also works with immunocompromised patients, I would assume, although I'm sure she's yes. masked within an inch of her life. Yeah. Um, so, like, I guess talk a little bit about co-parenting in a two healthcare uh, family 
And for my own curiosity, I'm just so curious if you are more laid back than the average parent, you think, or more, um, more on, on alert for these things or not at all. Yeah. So, I mean, of course it's, it's a little bit tricky because I'm not a hundred percent sure how it totally plays out in other homes too. But my guess is that we are air more on the laid back side. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar kind of with the stereotype of like the nurses, kids never go to the doctor, a little bit, the doctor's kids never have to go to the doctor. It just kind of seems to be this thing that I always grew up with. Again, having two nurses as parents, I remember being like, yeah, I mean, my mom never takes me to the doctor. Like I just stay at home and then at some point I'm better. And then I go back to school. Like, you know, I remember thinking I never go to the pediatrician. Um, So how much of that again is personality? How much of it is, you know, kind of our experience, but I would say, I feel like we definitely land on the laid back side. Neither of us are big germaphobes, which is kind of interesting because we both um, worked slash work with immunocompromised patients. Not that we do not, you know, take the utmost of care when we're, you know, like you scrub in, you wash your hands. Yeah, we scrub in. That's exactly right. We do wash our hands, in fact. Um, But we do kind of land on the side of, you know, if the food falls on the ground, pick it up and eat it. You know, like we are not overly concerned about um, kind of the germs within our home. We're also the type to share straws and mm-hmm. oh, like forks uh-huh. and spoons. Um, so our uh, the quickness with which we can spread an illness around our family is, is quite impressive. Um, but what I will say is I think a, I, I'm going to say a, a, an idea that I think people have about kids who have like physicians as parents is that the physician is like writing things for them or kind of taking care of them, diagnosing and prescribing them at home. And they don't really need to go to the doctor right. because they have, in theory, everything they need. Well, let me tell you, Sarah, <laughs> when Amanda and I first started dating, I thought to myself, oh, wow, like this is kind of cool. Like, <laughs> you know, she could probably write me something when I'm sick. Yeah. This is going to be kind of good. And she made it clear very early on that she does not do this. And I was like, "Um, okay, cool, 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 cool. This is not working out the way I expected. (laughs) I guess I have to like you for other reasons. I guess I have to like you for other reasons. So we'll just keep trying this. And she continues to hold that line pretty hard. And it's something I really respect. Yeah, I think she says that, you know, I don't do a lot of internal medicine. Like she doesn't do this kind of run of the mill at home stuff. And she says, I definitely don't do pediatrics. So like while we have the luxury of her brain and her calm demeanor to be able to say, you know, her go-to line is, oh, it's probably just a virus. Yep. It's a virus. Guess we're going to have to let it run its course. Yep. Probably just a virus. See, I paid a as lot of copays to go have someone tell me that. <laughs> that's for like eight that's years exactly of my life. Right. <laughs> that's exactly right. No, no, no. And that's super reasonable yeah. because I, if it were just me, half of those would have been trips yes. to the pediatrician. So she is, provi- you know? she is earning her keep. And so she, thank okay, you, Amanda. You know what? That is such a good point. That is such a good point. So, you know, in all reality, I... And our kids, we seek healthcare in the exact same way that everyone else does. Yeah. You know, she's not writing things in for us. 
But I will say our threshold to go to the pediatrician is probably quite a bit larger yeah. um, than maybe someone else's. We let things ride out for for quite a long time. And yeah. as long as kids aren't febrile, yeah. uh, I mean, that's that's a really big key indicator. If a kid has a fever for five days, yeah. we, we need to be doing something about that. But if they did a 24-hour fever, they're still coughing after 10, 12 days. Amanda will say, you know, they're not going to do anything for you. And I'm like, I know this. However, I would like to consider Uh taking them in. And so one thing that I do that she doesn't, you know, for context for people listening, I definitely fall into the like primary caregiver role. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to stereotypically say the mom stuff. And um I am much quicker to call the nurses. And if I can offer like one piece of advice to every mom out there, if you're a pediatrician or whatever, you know, like well-child clinic you attend has a line with nurses or with healthcare providers who can give you tips and tricks, let me tell you, they are unbelievable. Mm -hmm. And you can call them and you can say, hey, I really don't want to come in. I have been dealing with this for the last four days. What do you suggest? If we're not better by Monday, I'll call back. Mm -hmm. And I like this for two reasons. One, these nurses have incredible ideas of things that you can do at home to help take care of your kids. Number two, I certainly kind of like being in their call list Mm -hmm. when I call back on Monday. So I called you like, you know, hey, it's Monday. I called last Thursday. Here's where we are. I I get in pretty quickly because you know I've already I've already talked to you once yeah. before. You know we've been dealing with this now for a week and this is something that I'm ready to get checked out. So these are things that I I mean I'm not saying that's a, a foolproof method. Um but certainly something I've seen that works well. You get some advice and then if you do need to call back, um it, I find it that there's those wheels a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. yeah. I think that's such a good tip. Okay, Megan, like many of our listeners, I'm sure I've been doing some spring cleaning in my closet lately, and it always feels so good to get rid of clothes I'm not wearing, things that don't fit or that aren't my style anymore. But you know what I realized? All of my Vionic shoes are always in the keep pile. They just tick all the boxes. They're cute, comfy, high quality. They last forever. And I love growing my Vionic collection, especially with the latest styles from their Vionic Vitals collection. The Vionic Vitals collection offers daily wear styles designed for elegance, comfort, and versatility. We both love the Uptown Loafer, which collapses flat, so it's perfect for travel. The Chardonnay Heeled Sandal, which I know you love, Sarah. The Walk 23 Classic Sneaker, which our team member Katie gets compliments on all the time. And the Willa Slip-On Flat, one of my favorites, which comes in 12 colors for any outfit. Yeah, I need to uh, get the Willa Slip-On Flat. That's next on my list. Well, listeners, if you're ready to try the shoes we're always raving about, use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Sarah, our sponsor, Haya Health, makes a kid's daily multivitamin that parents can feel great about giving their kids because they have no added sugars or dyes. And our kids who have tried Haya Vitamins have loved them which is important, right? Because what good is a bottle of vitamins that your kid won't take? 
Haya was founded by two dads who didn't like the ingredients label on some of the popular children's vitamins they were seeing on store shelves. So they got to work developing a formula that would help fill the most common nutrient gaps in modern kids' diets. Haya's chewable kids' vitamin is made with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables and then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals. They're also vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, and nut-free. Haya manufactures their vitamins right here in the USA with globally sourced ingredients, and then they ship their chewable vitamins directly to your door on a pediatrician-recommended schedule. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You're going to get 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash MomHour. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash MomHour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Okay, Jamie, before the break, you were talking about the nurse's line at your pediatrics clinic. And I was like thinking back to the different because we've moved a couple times. I guess I've been at three main pediatrics practices since I've had kids. Um, And the nurse line or the message, the call center has worked so differently at each one. And I'm, I almost feel a little bad for new mom, Sarah, because what I had in those, in the thick of those years, it was more like a message taker for the doctor. And I remember being so frustrated because it was a real person. You'd, you'd, you'd call, you'd leave a voicemail and they'd call you back. And they'd say, okay, what's going on? Tell me, tell me what's going on. And I, I kind of like, like you said, tell them, here's what we've been dealing with. Here's what I've done. Here are my questions. And then they would, I'm trying to think like, oh no, I'm going to correct that. You'd leave a voicemail. They'd play that voicemail for the pediatrician, for the physician. And then they would call back and tell you what the physician said. So it was like, First of all, you didn't get to talk to your provider. You didn't get to talk to your doctor. And it was like they were reading doctor's notes. So like, okay, doctor said you can give like an extra dose. You can give, try some Benadryl before bed, like to dry them out. Or doctor said like, if it's still going tomorrow to make an appointment. Okay, well, great. But like, there was no nurse on the line to say like what you were saying, like, okay, well, I've tried this. I've tried this. And then in my other practices, I think it has been a little bit more like what you're talking about, but my kids were older. And as we're going to get into, it's just not as intense um, in those years. So I'm, I'm like retroactively a little jealous. And I hope that a lot of moms have that kind of a nurse line. You know, I hope they do too. And I'm not a hundred percent sure this is the case, like across the country that all pediatricians offices have this, you know, kind of nurse line. And it's definitely something that I'm incredibly grateful for. But I do think if you can leave a message with a nurse, kind of in the way that you did, even if they left the message with the doctor, I think if that's your situation, you could try to be as explicit as possible yeah. in what you're looking yeah. for. So rather than calling and saying, hey, like, this is what's going on. What do you think? Right. More a matter of calling and saying, here's what's going on. This is what I've done. I would like to know if there are other things that I can do at home to stay out of the clinic. What other suggestions do you have for me? Like a very, very clear question, um, which I know is hard to do. I know they're kind of the sense of white coat syndrome and feeling a little nervous about directly asking someone for exactly what you want. Yeah. Um, 
But I think that can go a long way. It gives them some material to work with and say, oh, yeah, you can do this, this and this. Yeah. I would hope would be a, a possibility. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, well, let's let's talk about some, I guess, practical tips we have for managing this sick fall cold and flu season. And we can go all over the place here. So everything from actual kid symptoms to managing our own like stress and mom life. Um, Why don't you kick it off? Sure. So I think I kind of already touched on this, but I am a a big fan of keeping Tylenol and Motrin around for fevers. Um, Again, like you said, when you were talking about Reed and antibiotics, I know we this community probably runs the spectrum of, you know, decisions about what medications to give our kids just for the sake of being clear here. Cause I actually was in conversation with someone, multiple kids about what Tylenol is and what mm-hmm. Motrin are Motrin is. So yeah. Tylenol is acetaminophen and then Motrin and Advil are both ibuprofen. Mm-hmm. And both of those are antipyretics or they can reduce fevers. Um, so that is the number one thing that I use it for. And my kids are getting to the point now where they have said, oh, I'm kind of sick and I get some medicine and I have, uh, I draw the line entirely at whether or not they have a fever. Mm-hmm. Um, like they don't, it eat. I don't give it for pain relief at this point because their reports of pain are a little bit, a <laughs> little bad. bit difficult to, to, you know, understand here. Um, they both could be used for pain relief, but only used for fevers now. Do you treat even lower grade fevers? I'm just curious. Sure, sure. So no, I don't. Okay. Um, and let's talk about, you want to talk about low grade fevers? Yeah. Like in kind of, I mean, this is maybe just a fun fact for some people, but do you kind of know where they get the numbers from? about like what constitutes a fever. Um, so you know I, how we say uh, like 98.6 right, is, is like normal. normal. Do you know where that comes from? Uh-uh. So that's 37 degrees Celsius, okay. right? And then what you'll hear is like if a kid or an adult has a fever of 100.4 or greater, that's considered a fever. Uh-huh. Well, that 100.4 isn't sub- totally pulled out of the blue uh-huh. it's one degree celsius hotter oh so it's going from 37 to 38 oh, i totally didn't know that it, did, and, it does yeah, seem so, so arbitrary and yeah specific. you're kind of like a hundred point four like how did they come up with this you know i mean it just seems it's so basically fahrenheit's so random. fault it's our it, not it's, it's like, like our non-metric don't get me started yeah. <laughs> on inches and feet sarah i don't even want to go down that path but um so i I land pretty heavily on not treating until they have, so a low grade fever really would technically be like 104 to, you know, anything in the 101 range. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. A hundred, I'm a hundred point four into the 101 range. And I usually am not treating that unless they're symptomatic. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they're really lethargic, which they rarely are, most, my kids for the most part, at 100.5, 101, they're still fully functioning. Um, and I usually don't start treating until they kind of hit the 102s, 103s, 104s. Uh-huh. Now, disclaimer, if they are going to bed yes. and they are 101, yeah. you better believe <laughs> they are getting a little chewable Tylenol. Because that's just smart. Yes. Right? Like you want them to sleep. Yes. 
and you want them to make it through the night and you know that 103 104 is right around the corner right around midnight in my in my um that's exactly between midnight and one o'clock yep yeah so (laughs) i would say but in general during the day i'm not treating that um i i pretty much i pretty much pulled the trigger right around 102 103 this is a very specific mom life question but do Uh, you and it's not medical at all this is a purely like what's jamie's preference and jamie's kids um but there's like the syringe delivery there's uh the chewable you mentioned there's little cups which i would assume your four-year-old um could manage if that were his preference Uh so is there a favorite delivery method a favorite flavor I mean, this becomes very kid specific in my experience, because if you want them, if you want to manage this fever with ibuprofen and acetaminophen, mm-hmm. like your kid has to take it. So actually take it. Yeah. 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 So um, we are on chewables now and okay. there are no other options okay. in the home. So they they don't really know any other option. Of course, I did the infant oral suspension liquid uh-huh. when they were younger. But the minute my two year old could reliably chew a tablet I kind of made the switch in the house. Um, so they, uh, I do grape flavor. I'm not 100% sure if they care yet, okay. um, but they both get grape chewables and, and don't seem to have a problem with it. So um, I guess knock on wood that all of a sudden, probably next week, they're going to want cherry yeah. and it's going to be 1 a.m. Well, and it's I'm better be that like, they don't you know, know that there are options. I think that is like yeah. so many of my parenting issues are because my kids are older and wiser and know that there are so many choices in the world. You know, when I hear you talk on this podcast, sometimes I think like, oh, I'm just like Sarah, my kids are going to find out there are other things in the world. And then and then it's just more to arbitrate. Um, Yep. I have a couple other fever thoughts to add, and I think I was very similar to you in in how to treat them. But also that you, it just gets so much easier as a mom to know your kids like fever personality. And Mm -hmm. I never hesitated to give ibuprofen or Motrin if I thought it would help. And like you said, if they, if they don't feel well, if they are crying, if they are lethargic, if they're just in distress, it can't hurt, you know, like with the correct dosage, I just felt like that was a good thing to try. Um, The temperature, the actual number I know that like with babies, infants and really young toddlers, you know, a degree makes a big difference. And when you call that nurse line or when you go into urgent care or when you get a doctor on the phone, they are going to ask you, how high is the fever? How long has it been this high? What have you given them? And so I guess the tip is wherever you land on how you manage your fevers at home, it's a good idea to have like a, a knowledge of what you're doing and what, where the fever is degree wise. I went through a long stage of literally kissing my kid's forehead and being like, yep, "Yep, we're in Advil territory. Nope, we're not. Yep. You can go to school. And I I once with my third child was in a doctor's office and they're like, so how high has it been? I'm like, "Eh, it's my third kid. It's been really high for like three straight days. They're like, no, how high? I'm like, I don't know. I haven't taken it, but I can tell with the combination of her other symptoms that were, this is a febrile, this is like, this is a kid who's really fighting hard for something. Whereas you will also have a kid with 102 who feels fine and is running around. So I, I just always tell mm-hmm. new parents that it's like one indicate, I feel like the number on the thermometer thermometer <laughs> is one indicator that is to me almost useless in the absence of other context. And that other context is all kinds of things like how long has it been going on? 
Has it been going up and down? Have you been giving other meds? Um, like, how are they feeling? And so I think once I learned that, I was so much less attached to the number. However, then sometimes you need the number because the doctor is going to ask or the school mm-hmm. might ask. So it's complicated. Right. Yeah. Well, let me reinforce this, too, of about the number amidst all the other symptoms. I think it is a motherhood rite of passage that your child will be homesick for three days with a fever of 103. <laughs> and the minute you get to the clinic, they're running a solid 98. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like this is exactly how it goes down. So coming to those appointments armed with lots of good data yeah. about what's going on. So that way, you know, but just know if you haven't done that yet, it is, it's, it's, um, disappointing but you know it'll happen and your kid will your kid will get better but I have one more fever question have you had any numbers yet on those thermometers that have like kind of freaked you out a little bit like in the 105s in and sometimes again it sometimes it's thermometer specific so you're like okay well yeah these instruments aren't perfect but have you if you've gotten into scary fever territory with your kids? I have one time and it was this past January when my youngest had COVID and she was running 105 with like pretty much with meds in her system. Oh my gosh, that's scary. And um, just to speak about even though I'm a healthcare provider and the irrational thinking that we do when it's our own kids, I can be really rational when it's someone else's kid, but I did not even think that she might have had COVID mm. at that time. You know, it was January 22. We were really hunkering down. Omicron was just yeah, exploding. Yeah. And I didn't even get into my head. I thought she had an ear infection yeah. and she was running 105 and I took her to urgent care and they said she had COVID. And I just thought to myself, yeah, I mean, you just don't, it, it can be really hard to think clearly mm-hmm. when you get out of the normal, what feels non-life threatening. Yeah. And that 105, that made me nervous. Yeah. It made me pretty darn nervous. It's scary um, when you, you know, you just, you're, you're crossing yeah. that threshold of, you know, seizing. Yeah. yeah. And so that's, that's where my brain goes. And yeah. Fortunately, fortunately, that didn't last very long. But yep. maybe for the show notes, Jamie, we can find what you think is a like a good, reputable write up or guide, even if it's just like from the American Academy of Pediatrics mm-hmm. or whatever yeah. for fevers, because I feel like we could talk about fevers for a long time um, yeah. in an unqualified manner since we're not giving medical advice on this podcast. Yes, but yes, it yes. is good. And it's also good to have your co-parent your sitter, the grandparents, like also understand on the one hand, I think it helps calm us down that early childhood fevers are so normal. And most of the time, even 103s and 104s are just not that big a deal. And then on the flip side, it is helpful to know like what to do when you see those and and why to do something when you see those. Why to do something. Yeah, Yeah, it, it is important. Yeah. Yeah, it is important. Okay. So Jamie, I wonder if you have any questions for me as the more seasoned mom. And um, maybe I can talk a little bit about like how this, how there is light at the end of the tunnel of the constant vigilance, the constantly getting sick. So what, from your stage, what would you like to ask me about where I am? Yeah. One that is reassuring because it definitely feels like we're, we're in the thick of it with all this um, respiratory junk. But one thing that I am super curious about 
is, I think, pretty closely related to kids getting older and kids having more um, of an idea of what's going on in their bodies. Yeah. Do you have an idea of when your kids first started, like, reporting? Uh, I would describe this as, like, symptoms that you can't really confirm. Right. So, like, I have a headache right. or my stomach hurts. I have a sore throat. And, of course, like, their throat is, like, perfectly pink and, right. you know, normal. And you're kind of like, oh, how do I, how do I handle this? So my first question for you is, when do you feel like that started? And then my second question is, how do you navigate, like, validating the fact that yeah. maybe they legitimately do have a headache and yeah. they don't feel well and their stomach does hurt? And trying to figure out, is this an illness? Is this anxiety? Right. Do I send them to school? And I know it's kid dependent, but yeah. I'm just kind of curious if you have any examples of, like, how that has played yeah. out in your house. Well, so... Because you asked for an age, I do want to try to give a ballpark age, and I'm going to mm -hmm. totally arbitrarily say seven or eight for okay. for having conversations about bodily symptoms where you can, as a parent, ask follow-up questions. Because here's the thing. I remember one time, one of my children said that their neck hurt, and I was like <laughs> really worried because of like spinal meningitis <laughs> and stuff. And then I realized that they thought their throat was their neck. So like, right. let's be clear that right. four and five-year-olds don't even have the right terminology sometimes. Yes. And that also needing to poop can have the same yeah. symptoms yeah. of a stomach ache. And That's I, I exactly I, right. So it's like, it's not that all, one day they wake up at seven or eight and have can perfectly report sure. symptoms, but there is a very confusing few years, I'm going to say between like four and eight, where they're actually very verbal and can tell you a lot of stories, but they're, they don't it's not, it's not accurate. And it's not because they're faking or lying. It's just because right. of those two examples that I gave. Um, yes. My oldest used to get dizzy quite a bit, like not a concerning amount where we were like in the neurologist's office, but like yeah. is just prone to dizziness, whether it's low blood sugar or, and now I just know that about that kid that right. he's prone to dizziness. But if you, in isolation, you could think, oh my gosh, what's going on? Like, that's not, no it's not normal for me to be dizzy randomly. Like, twice a week, but it might be normal for that particular kid in the absence of anything else going on. So it's a very long road, Jamie, to knowing. I think the biggest thing is to knowing what's going around. So again, with the context, just like the fever, you're taking the reporting of a headache or a sore throat with a bunch of other contexts. The probably the two biggest ones being what's typical for this kid. Are they an under reporter or an over reporter sure. of not just sick symptoms, but like how their body feels. So I have my middle child does not like report. He doesn't even like really know when he's cold or hot. It's like, he's like, it, it's, um, I actually think there's like some sensory. It's the opposite of being overly sensitive, sensory yeah. sensitive. It's like the slight, like under sensitive. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and so like one time he had a fever at school and he was like curled up in the corner of the classroom. Cause he didn't even know enough about reporting body symptoms to even tell his teacher anything like like sure. I'm cold I'm yeah. hot I'm tired and then I have other children who will just constantly narrate what their body feels like like my there's something in my eye like my I just turned my neck and it felt weird and so you have to know the child and then I sure. think you have to know what's going around so what I try to do is be a little bit sneaky with kids and not um 
not tell them that I'm on the lookout for anything. Cause if I say like, Oh, strep's going around like, Oh, like how'd you sleep? Is your throat? Like it's easy to plant something in a kid and then they're looking to confirm. And again, I don't think they're being manipulative or trying to get out of going to school. I just think they don't have that larger context for what's a dry throat. Cause the window was open last night and right. what is a rapid onset, like on fire, sore throat. And like, to your point, we're not in their bodies. We don't yeah. know either. So I do think that that larger context of what's going, what's going around right now, is it likely that, that a scratchy throat in the morning is something new or is it likely that it's allergies or an open window? You don't know. So you do the best you can. Right. But I do think that starting about second or third grade, your kid can at least be a partner to you in asking clever follow-up questions and then also watching their behavior. They're like sure. uh, something that happens a lot in the elementary school years is they wake up and they're just funky. They're either they didn't sleep well, they say their throat hurts, um, they cough a whole bunch right when they wake up. And I try not to tell my kid that I am assessing them, but I am rapidly assessing them between right. 6 30 in the morning when they wake up to like whenever I've got to make that decision about school. And my kids don't tend to ask. They don't say like, mom, I'm sick. I don't think I can go to school. It's more that like, I'm not telling them that I'm doing a, b- a bunch of silent right. assessments, but I am. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, on the other hand, am quick, quick to comment. Uh-huh. So I feel like this is something I could work on. You know, like I, I need to back up a little bit because I could easily see myself like you said with a nine-year-old planting the seed because I just tend to talk about it. Yeah no I do too (laughs) I'm a narrator too yeah Um, I think if you can hold back from talking and watch behavior and then here's another like sneaky mom tip that's it is slightly manipulative on my part but I will sometimes drop in like if I think that this is a kid who can likely go to school and who might be mm-hmm. experiencing mild symptoms that are weatherable. And again, I'm totally removing the COVID conundrum from the equation here, but just talking about not you know, like, should they go to school or not? Um, a child's excitement for something fun on the horizon and ability to like think ahead to like what's happening after school. I have my favorite dance class or like we were going to go do this thing. Um, a kid who's really not feeling well, you can kind of tell that like they, when you're really not feeling well, you don't even want to do fun stuff. Like you don't yeah. want to. So if I like was like, Oh, you know, can you go feed the kittens? Because I know that's Violet's favorite activity. Like if she's really sick, she's going to be like, no, I don't want to get off the couch. If she's, if she's okay, they still want to do their favorite activities. And so I think as a mom, you can subtly and sneakily test they're yes. real, how they're really feeling. Um, totally. I have also like had sort of family policies, family rules. Like if we're not sure and we decide to keep you home to be safe, to keep others safe and just to give you a rest day, um, I might say we're not going to do screens all day. You're not mm-hmm. sick enough right. to need screens all day, but I recognize that this is a little borderline. So if you feel like you just really need a day at home, just so you know, I'm working all day and it's not going to be a free for all screens. Now, if they have a fever, they're really sick. I'm totally going to let them watch screens all day. But right. there are like there are these gray areas where I can make it slightly inconvenient that not quite yeah. as fun as it might have been as they thought to stay home. Yeah, and totally. that, that may suss out just how sick they are. I don't know. That was a lot. And I'm not sure it was no, that's, helpful. That's all really good advice. And I think definitely things I can see sort of coming down the pipe. 
You know, I mean, I can start to see my four-year-old getting more into that Mm -hmm. range um, quicker than my two-year-old. So I feel, I mean, obviously quicker, but I can already see some um, examples of how some of this might be playing out. So that's all good. I appreciate that. For anybody who has really young kids, like your kid's age, um, things like GI bugs coming on and strep and things that have pretty rapid Mm -hmm. onset, you are still going to see there's kids. They can't fake that. I mean, maybe some can, but I've had kids crying because their stomach hurt so bad or truly like balled up on the couch. So, um, if they're reporting, if they're reporting headaches and stomach aches and sore throats and they are walking around like normal, it's not that I think they're faking, but I think in most cases you can see physically, you can still use the same cues you used when they were six months and 18 months yeah. with a six, seven okay. and eight year old. It just comes out. They're little enough that they can't power through. They, they get hit hard. Yeah. And I'm, that's now I'm kind of really overgeneralizing and there's probably some kids that hide it well or that power through. But in my experience, even a even a second grader will fall hard to a fever or to a GI bug. So there's no like sure. there's less gray area than you might think. If they say my tummy hurts, but they're acting fine, they're probably fine or they have to yeah. poop okay. like like my first yeah. grader yeah. did. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Cool. Well, Jamie, this was really fun. And thank you so much for being both the um, resident medical professional and the resident mm-hmm. newer mom of. So let's definitely find some, um, a few good resources for the show notes, Jamie, maybe you can like, you know, link up some things that, um, moms who are newer to this, uh, can rely on. And I think the main point was validating that this, everybody's going to go through this, um, and spring will look a lot different and probably next fall will be a little less hard if you're, if it's hitting you for the first time this fall, wouldn't you say? so certainly hope so thank you for having me absolutely well thanks for listening everyone and we'll talk to you soon thanks for listening to the mom hour everything we talked about in today's episode is available at themomhour.com and hey while you're there you can find more than 500 podcast episodes plus articles playlists and resources about motherhood and parenting at every stage and if you like today's episode we'd love it if you would take a minute to share the show with another mom in your life You can also find us on Instagram at The Mom Hour, chatting and interacting with listeners between episodes. Thanks for being here, friends. We'll talk to you soon. The Mom Hour is supported by partners like Erica. Erica is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug when they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. Erica was built by a dad of three boys who saw that teens themselves were really becoming self-aware to the risks of social media, and he wanted to help them self-regulate. Erica works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. The Mom Hour is brought to you by partners like Chatbooks. Chatbooks makes it beyond easy to create beautiful photo books by importing your digital photos from anywhere, Instagram, Facebook, Google Photos, or directly from your phone. The books come in a variety of sizes with beautiful cover options and binding styles to choose from, and they start at just $15. Plus, we have a great deal just for our listeners. Use code THEMOMHOUR20 to save 20% off your purchase. Just download the Chatbooks app and use code THEMOMHOUR20 to save 20%.